Hey guys, thanks very much for listening into the Game Changers experience. Today, I wanted to just highlight the fact that we are launching a brand new initiative for you guys. If you'd like to showcase your business and you'd like to get more impact in the world, you'd like to reach a different audience, we are Our podcast is in the top 2.5% in the global rankings. We have listeners from all over the world, from about 35 to 40 countries worldwide. It's absolutely epic. If you're interested in learning about how you can advertise and sponsor our show, please do me a favor and drop me an email. It's hello at adamstrong.net. It's hello at adamstrong.net. And the subject heading is sponsorship. And me and my team will be happy to uh, drop you a message with the details. Take care and enjoy. Enjoy this episode. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today, yes, we have another excellent live show. Well, if you have the opportunity to listen to one of our live shows, make sure that you have subscribed either on YouTube or on LinkedIn Live. That way you can We'd love to engage with our with our podcast guests, but if not, then you guess what? Then you get to listen to the recording of this. But wh- whichever it is, you're going to have such an amazing experience, and I hope that you're going to enjoy today's show because we have another great show, another great guest. I'm really looking forward to today's conversations. So I want to get straight into this because we have a great guest for today, and uh, I met this particular lady actually through a mutual friend of of of, of, of myself. If we've got a quite quite a few mutual friends, and her name is Dr. Michelle Johnston. Now, if you don't know who uh, Michelle is, uh, she has actually twenty years' experience uh, as an executive coach, and um, has been named one of the uh, has been named one of the most prestigious one hundred executive coaches in the world. And then she's also an author, so she's actually written a a book which has just come out recently. Uh, which we're going to be talking a, a, a little bit about because it's uh, it has a really intriguing title and I'm really uh, interested in it. Um, but she's an author. She's got a book called The uh, Submissive Submissive Shift in Leadership. I've probably said that completely wrong, but she's probably going to correct me in a second. In which she's discovered the key to success is all about connection. Now, listen, I'm massive on connection. You know, I've been harping on about connection you know i talk about this on clubhouse i talk about it in wisdom in fact i've talked about it many times in the podcast interviews where there are three main ingredients and connection is one of the main ingredients if you want to thrive in the digital world now some of the things that we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about the difference between connection and communication right because there are some differences right we're going to be talking about those things we're going to be talking about where lead, what, what leaders, what, what, what are some of the biggest mistakes that they make in terms of connection, right? When they think that they're connecting, but actually they're not. So we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about how uh, leaders can use connection in a hybrid setting because, you know, uh, the way the last two years has panned out, 
you know, we're, we're really kind of um, moving towards more of a hybrid way of working, right? People are demanding more flexible uh, learning, flexible uh, working and stuff like that. So we can be talking about how you can effectively use connection to your advantage as a leader. And, uh, and uh, that's what we can be talking about today. So without further ado, put your hands together. Dr. Michelle Johnston, how are you doing today? Oh, thank you. I'm doing great. I just finished teaching my last day of spring semester with my students, and that always feels good. And I'm just so happy to be here with you, Adam. Thank you for having me on your show. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, I'm excited that you're here because I know that we share quite a few. I know that you have uh, Alan Hunkins, great guy, and, and I think uh, you are uh, good friends with Alan. Is that correct? Correct. And um, I know that, you know, being in the executive coaching world, I, I believe that we also share Marshall Goldsmith. He's a, he's a good friend of ours as well. We love good old Marshall as well. And, and, and you know, and, and it's really interesting how, you know, it, you know, connection's really interesting, right, Michelle? Because we share quite a few mutual friends. And through those mutual friends, we end up meeting. Isn't that? It's happens. <laughs> love it. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Listen. Uh, I want to get into the gist of things, if if that's all right, because I, I know we're going to be talking about your book. Uh, and I know that I've said it completely wrong, by the way. It's probably my dyslexia. But just do me a favor and tell me what the title of the book has been again, was it? Absolutely. It's called The Seismic Shift in Leadership, How to Thrive in This New Era of Connection. Love it. Seismic shift. Right. OK, so that puts me on to a really interesting question, because. I have no clue what that actually means. So could you give us some context as to give us uh, some of our listeners as to, as to know what seismic shift means? Yeah. So I had a big wake up call a number of years ago as an executive coach. I typically coach about 15 um, to 20 leaders, um, usually CEOs, some, you know, in the C-suite, uh, COOs, CEOs. And um, I, I mean, I grew up in the command and control era of leadership. So I was I was mentored, like I imagine some of your listeners were who are over the age of what, 40 something. We were mentored by leaders who subscribed to a little bit more of an authoritarian leadership style, a bit more directive, controlling, sometimes micromanaging. And, and so I didn't see that as necessarily a bad thing. The seismic shift, however, refers to all of a sudden, a number of years ago, I was seeing these leaders who had subscribed to this style that had been popular for years. We could have a whole nother podcast conversation on whether it was ever really effective or not. It was very in vogue. It was the norm. And so I'm seeing these leaders trying to manage this new generation and this is pre-pandemic, Adam. And all of a sudden, I'm watching them, even some of the leaders that I was coaching, I'm watching them get pushed out of the organization. I'm watching the people that they're leading kind of revolt against them. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing firsthand, I would, I would come in and I would try to, to coach 
many people who would work under these old command and control style leaders. And, and it became almost a focus group, a therapy session, because they were telling all these things, this doesn't work anymore. This is abusive. This is a jerk boss. We, we, we can't work for jerk bosses anymore. This is not a positive working environment. This is an abusive and a negative working environment. The company wants us to be innovative. We're scared. This leader has created a culture of fear. So that's when I had that big aha moment that I really needed to write a book because my sphere of influence was relatively small, you know, so I coach 15 to 20 executives, I teach about 120 students a semester. So I can try to spread the gospel of what sort of leadership style is needed to succeed right now. But I recognize my sphere of influence was pretty small. And so that's when I realized I needed to get the message out and write a book. And so I called it the seismic shift in leadership. Love it. Love it. That's a great story. I love that. And, and, and I actually absolutely agree with the whole kind of authoritarian kind of leadership. I do absolutely agree with that. And, 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 and there'll be a later on question. We're going to come back to that. We were, one of the things that came to my mind was how, why um, so many um, organizations are struggling to uh, attract top talent you know, especially the younger generation, right? Because of what you maybe highlight. So we'll come back to that. That's an interesting thought pattern. I like that. That's very cool. So let's talk about um, connection, right? Because interestingly enough, I know that we, it's one of those terminologies, I don't know, about, but we all, I guess if you was to speak to one CEO or one CEO and, and you ask them, what is connection to you? You'd probably get a, a, a dozen different answers, right? So let's talk a little bit about the difference between connection and communication. Let's let's kind of put that to bed. Is that all right? Yeah, Adam, that's a great question. And as somebody, as a professor who teaches in the business school, and I teach strategic communication, I teach business communication, I have my PhD in communication. Communication was always the word, right? But you're right. We're not talking necessarily about communication at all. The way that I look at it, communication is your delivery, right? Of how, how you could look at the how, how you communicate the message. So that could be um, the tone. You could look at how you communicate a message, whether you choose to be a, to use text or email or a telephone call or Zoom or face-to-face. -face. So I look at communication as a little bit more transactional. And, and that's exactly what we were finding with that old command and control style that was seismic shift below us because those who were still leading that style were not succeeding. And, and the seismic shift is, okay, what is it going to open up? What do we need right now? And we need meaningful connection. And this was even my discovery pre-pandemic. So my big aha moment was the leaders who were leading from a more of authoritarian leadership style were creating these cultures of fear. And again, that was the opposite of every company needs to be innovative in order to thrive and succeed and stay in business. And so these authoritarian leaders trying to lead the, the younger generations who were like, check, please, I'm not loyal to you. I'm out. Again, this was even before the great resignation. Adam. They're like, peace out. I'm out. I cannot work for a jerk boss or a company that I don't believe in, that I'm not aligned you know, with their values. 
So, so I had that big eureka. It's about connection, not necessarily communication. Of course, communication is important. It's about true, meaningful connection. Treat your people like human beings. Show them that you care about them as a whole person. And what I found, because you and I know Marshall Goldsmith, and Marshall is my mentor, and he founded Stakeholder Centered Coaching. So when you, whenever you begin as an executive coach, a coaching relationship, you conduct a 360 with the leader's top stakeholders. And I do qualitative 360s. So I have a thick data books that I begin with. So we have all of this really rich, robust data to look at and to take into account and create an action plan before I then, and then I begin coaching. So I was able to look at the data and realize that these leaders really had lost connection with their team. But my biggest aha moment was it was because they weren't connected with themselves. So what emerged in the data was when I would interview their direct reports, they would say, I don't trust my leader. And I'd say, tell me more about that. Why don't you trust your leader? I don't really know, but I can't trust them. They're fake. They, um, they, they swat you down if, if they think that you ask a stupid question. I, I'm scared to make mistakes. I don't trust my leader. And when I just dug deeper and deeper, I realized that the leaders who were disconnected with their teams were completely disconnected with themselves. So they were showing up trying to be perfect. And so what I realized was that perfection equaled disconnection. So if you're trying to be perfect, whatever perfect looks like to you, and it looks like different things to every person, if you're trying to be the, the former boss who mentored you, if you're trying to be your little league coach who mentored you, your pastor who mentored you, whoever you think is successful or to you is that's what this position, that's what perfect looks like, then you try to emulate this style. And oftentimes when it's not your style, you just show up as fake and dis, you know, disgenuous, disingenuous. Um, and, and so that's what was showing up as the data is their people weren't connected with them because they were connected with themselves. So now I have this big Eureka, right? I need to write a book because it's all about connection. It's no longer, we have to give up that command and control, but here's what's interesting, Adam is so I then, you know, I'm a trained researcher. So I then went out and I researched 18, I, I interviewed 18 uh, leaders from around the world to understand and learn from their stories of connection and disconnection of success and failure when it came to how they connected with themselves, how they showed up as authentic leaders or didn't how they connect with their teams, and then how they connect with their organization. So now I've got all of this really rich data. I write this book. I'm about to, holding on to it, about to send it off to the publisher, and it's March 2020. And the entire planet shuts down, and the entire planet is disconnected from each other. And I thought, whoa, I cannot publish a book that entire theory is on the importance of connection when we have no idea how to connect right now. So I went back. I, I told my publisher, I'm sorry, we can't publish it. I've got to hold on to it and I've got to go back and I've got to figure out how do you connect in the hybrid remote environment? And Adam, thank goodness I did that because I think that's why this book is an Amazon bestseller now because I then published it right. I mean, it was just published in February when we're all coming out of the cobwebs of a pandemic. And even though the great resignation has shown us that people are opting right now to continue to work from home, makes it even harder for leaders to connect. Right. 
But the good news is the book has all kinds of strategies of how you can meaningfully connect, even in this crazy hybrid environment that we're living in. It's interesting. Cause there's, one, there's one thing that you uh, had um, uh, highlighted, which was when you did these interviews with leaders, but also with their uh, employees, maybe not so senior management. And, uh, and, and you found out, you know, that, that leaders weren't as authentic as they, as they should be, right? Uh, but do you believe that it's because leaders like to wear a mask and yes, you know, that's exactly yeah. what I believe. Yes, they, they <laughs> want to wear this. Okay, cool. All right. So that kind of puts that to bed because it's kind of, you know, because it's interesting because I, I still feel like from my perspective, especially in having conversations with people like yourself and, you know, in, in the big wide world, is that that still happens in so many instances in corporate all over the world there are still leadership styles and behaviors that have those masks that, uh, you know, and, but interestingly enough, what I love about the fact that you've written this book and it's very timely, very, very timely. Um, and I, and I do believe that, you know, there's a lot of uh, organizations and leaders, you know, asking for that help. It's like, you know, uh, it's interesting. because my other half, she works for a, for a corporate company, a bank. I'm not going to, I'm not going to name and shame them, by the way. Um, <laughs> but interestingly enough, um, she, she tells me about the um, more the authoritative, like the, a lot of the people there have been there for like years, right? Like 35 years. It's like, hey, you should be hanging up your boots type of thing, right? But they, would, they just kind of want to hang around. And it's like they still use those types of styles because interestingly enough, and here's a, here's a, here's a question for you, Michelle, is – do you believe in the statement you can't teach an old dog new tricks when it comes to connection? No, I don't. And that's one of the questions I probably have been asked the most throughout my career since I teach leadership and I coach leaders. People say, are leaders born or made? And I said, it's both. I said, there are some natural born leaders. Absolutely. Come out of the womb. They're the ones immediately in the sandbox directing everybody. They're the ones on the, the baseball field directing everybody. But there are also leaders who, if you just, who are open and they want to learn and they want to be the best, which is key, right? Is that desire. And those sort of leaders who maybe weren't brought up with a bunch of role models who were leaders or didn't have the natural tendencies to all of a sudden take charge. They would rather be behind the scenes, but all of a sudden, because of their high competence level, they find themselves in leadership positions. And if the company invests in them and says, here, we'll send you um, like, like one of the, the client, my best client that I have, one of the best ones is Auctioner Health. And each one of their CEOs of a hospital gets sent to Harvard. And they go through the health management course and they said it's just a life changer, right? So you have a company that and they also get an executive coach. So if you are that type of leader who maybe didn't realize that that at some point they they are leading a team of a thousand 
because of their high competence, but they want to learn how to be a leader. Absolutely. I believe that you can teach an old dog new tricks. I have a lot of, if you call it like that, I have a lot of leaders who have been around um, a very long time and had subscribed to the authoritarian leadership style and, and have given me pushback these past few years about why, Michelle, are you telling me that I need to begin my team meetings with a personal question? I'm the, I'm supposed to be professional. I don't want to be their therapist or their best friend. I want to get on the agenda and get down to business. I said, I hear you. I hear you. And that's how we were. That generation was raised. It's business and then personal. And you were two different things. You almost like you had mentioned that mask, Adam, you almost show up to work as your professional self. You have your mask on, you walk in your professional self, and then you leave. And if somebody sees you in the grocery store, they see a very different person, right? We can't do that anymore because this of what we're experiencing right now, we are in each other's homes. It's not as formal of an environment. And in order to can to connect, you really need to say, hey, how's your day going? How was your weekend? I mean, is everybody still at home working from home? Where are you? How are you doing really? You have to really show your people that you care about them as a whole person. So yeah, this whole, can you teach old dogs a new trip? tricks? Absolutely. So some of these CEOs I was just referring to, Adam, who gave me a lot of pushback. They're like, look, I grew up in finance. I, I was hired to turn this hospital around to increase revenues by 30%. I've got one hour a week with my high level executives and you're making me ask what their favorite Thanksgiving meal is, Michelle. Really? <laughs> and I say, yes. And let me tell you why. I said, because again, in, in, in this remote work environment, if you want to increase revenue by 30%, if that's your goal, I say, is that your goal? Yes, absolutely. I said, okay, how, how's your team going to do that? Well, they have to think outside of the box. Okay, so they've got to be innovative. All right, how else is your team going to do that? They have to work together and collaborate. Okay, they have to collaborate. So then I back it up and I said, well, here are the characteristics you need to get what you want. You need them to trust you, to trust one another, to have psychological safety, enough to take risks, they need to know that it's that occasionally they might make a mistake and mess up if they're going to find innovative ways to drive your revenue up 30%. So let's back up and we have to create what I call now cultures of connection. So it can't just be business as, as usual. We don't have these organic moments throughout the day just to chit chat with each other. <laughs> and, and, and if you're in this remote environment, we've become much more individualistic. So we have our to-do list. We're on Zoom or Teams or whatever, back to back to back to back. And then we look at our list. We're done. Our calls are done. We shut the computer. We're out. We're going to go walk the dog. We're going to go have dinner with the family. There aren't opportunities where you're truly organically collaborate with one another to build that trust and 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 to just um, build that meaningful connection. So you have to embed it these days. You had said earlier, you want to know some strategies. We have to be really intentional as leaders and embed time to connect. Love it, love it, love it. Some very interesting points there. And, and I love that. Some really good stuff there. And I, one of the things I'd love to discuss actually with you is probably what I call the self-sabotaging behaviors that leaders think that they're connecting, but they're not really connecting. Well, not maybe from the employee's perspective. It's like, no, you think you're connecting, but you're not really connecting. So, and I'm sure that you've come across those self-sabotaging habits and behaviors, and maybe we could uh, talk about those. What, what, what do you think are some of the most common ones, uh, Michelle? Yeah. So a couple of examples that I've seen recently, number one, I was coaching a, um, a CFO 
And I said, look, I, I coach a lot of the people who report to you and they say that you're, you know, you wake up very early and you text them because you want to know some updates and they text you back and then they don't hear from you. <laughs> and, and so this particular leader said, well, yeah, but I read everything. I just don't have time to reply. And I said, okay, well, when you're in a position of power and this particular leader is in one of the most positions or the most um, powerful positions in the system as the CFO, I said, your whisper is a shout. So what you do is amplified and what you don't do is amplified. So when you at 5.30 a.m. say, hey, give me an update on the project you're working on, and they do, and you don't say anything, they negatively interpret. That silence is negative. They think that they did some shoddy work or they're at risk of losing their job. You don't like what they do. All you have to do is just say, got it, thanks. That's it. So what I call um, Brene Brown, who I love her research, she came up with a saying, to be clear is to be kind. And what I coach my leaders, I say to respond is to be kind. Just respond. So I've seen that mistake a lot. Um, the second mistake I saw just recently is one of my CEOs that I coach. He was leading a, a Zoom meeting with all of his, I think there were about 75 leaders. And he was doing it not in his office where we would look like we do now, Adam, me and you, and we're individually in front of our computers. He was doing it from the conference room thinking, oh, well, this is great because some people are in person. So we're going to sit around this big conference table. And then and then the majority are, are so it was only about five people around the conference table and then 75 were on Zoom. And the problem was is that he was all the way across the room, way back there. So his head was this big. I couldn't tell who he asked me to sit in on this meeting and give him any feedback. So, so he's in way back. His head's this big. He, he passes the baton, you know, to other people to speak. I didn't know who was speaking. I couldn't see their faces. And I was trying to imagine I was one of the 75 people on the call. And I said, I, I get that you want to create this community with your team who's there, in, but you have to conduct that meeting from your office in front of your computer. You are the CEO and we need you to look like a CEO, act like a CEO. So then you'll love this. So then the next coaching session is in his office. And so he's in his office and he's like this. And I what? said, okay. Yeah. I said, okay, th this is good. I'm really glad you're in your office, but let's, let's, can you do me a favor? Could you just get center in the screen? Could you lift up your, th I, I mean, little things that, that we think. Are, yeah. And, and so, to be an executive, right, it comes with expectations that you're going to demonstrate executive presence. In this hybrid world, you have to have a good backdrop. You have to have good lighting. You've got to be in the center of your screen. People have to be able to hear you. And those are the simple things, but those are two of, some, two of the biggest mistakes I've seen recently. That's so funny. Honestly, that's so crazy. I, I, I would have never, ever thought about those tiny, you know, the, just, and they're so simple. So I mean, the whole time he's like, you know, like this. The whole time, it's like I can't see you. <laughs> what are you trying to hide, dude? I mean, come on, seriously. Just, so you know, I know, but oh anyhow, and ninety-two percent of a message is nonverbal, right? And so, especially again, when you're at the highest levels, people come in with expectations.
of you. And we're asking, we're asking leaders to be authentic and vulnerable. And you still need to look like an executive, dress like an executive and act like an executive all at the same time. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's uh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to the recording of this year, that is not a way to do good connection. I want to let you know about that. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) So let's talk about, um, let's talk about, um, I want to go back to at the beginning when you talked a little bit about um, the leadership styles around the whole kind of great resonation, right? So how the, the authoritarian kind of leadership is not really using the way that we should use connection to retain really good employees, but also, and, and I don't know, I don't know if you agree with me on this, Michelle, but you know, if we look at say, I don't know, your average college graduate, university graduate, whatever, and they come out there, they, they're all qualified, they're looking for a job, yet they don't want to go into, you know, the conventional blue collar, white collar worker type of job, you know, managerial job, right? They don't want to go into it. And the reason for that is because they've seen their parents work their asses off for 40 plus years. And it's like, I don't want to be like my parents. Do you think that also has a great reason as to why even more connection should even be even more apparent in the workplace? What's your thoughts on that? You ask really good questions, Adam. Yeah, when when the great resignation research came out, that I remember, gosh, what was it, November, 4.5 million Americans resigned just in the month of November. And when I started teaching my my students this semester, we had to start on Zoom and then we went to in-person and masks. And then finally today, when we had our last class, uh, I had everybody stand up and here we were, we didn't have masks, we were in person, it was so great. And I said, look, I said, how many of you all have the memory of your parents coming home from work really positive and happy? Raise your hands. And so out of a total of about 80 people today, um, about four or five raised their hands. I said, okay, so what did that teach you as far as the choices you're going to make and the jobs that you want? And yeah. they said, as we, we were, because we were debriefing the entire course and they said, we now recognize how important it is for your mental health and your overall well-being to actually choose a company where it has a positive environment, where it's aligned with your values. You know, if you're a major, um, if you're absolutely anti-smoking, you're not going to work for a Tabasco company. You know, if, you know, just that values. I mean, so anyhow, we, we deconstructed a lot of that. But the point is, so many of them were affected by their parents who did not like their jobs. And many of those parents ended up resigning during the pandemic because they realized they wanted a healthier, happier life. Because that's what I'm also telling my leaders is we can't call it work-life balance anymore. At least I don't think we can. This is just life. And we're trying to figure it out, right? And it's up to you. I'll tell you what, one of the leaders in my book, Adam, um, is Warner Thomas. And he's the CEO of Auctioner Health, one of my biggest clients. And when I went in to interview him to ask him about the importance of connection, I, I did not see this coming and it ended up being a chapter in my book. I said, what do you think is the, the biggest thing you can do as a leader to have true connection with the organization? Because that's the highest level to me. And he said, your operating rhythm. I said, what? He said, 
your operating rhythm. He said, because that is the way as a leader, you must own your calendar. Your operating rhythm is the only way that you're going to be able to have touch points with the most important stakeholders that are going to help you be successful. And if you don't own that calendar and if you don't have a good rhythm of once a week meeting with your direct reports, once every two weeks or once a month, you know, skip level, having town halls, how often did you have your team meetings, you know, jumping across the system with your peers? He said, you have to put a lot of time into thinking about how you own your calendar. So all of a sudden when people, and it kind of goes back to your question of what's the difference between communication and connection. To me, meaningful connection is whether your people feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated. And if you don't have a way to make them feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated, then you're probably not a very good leader, right? And you're probably not connecting. So you might be a leader, an old style leader, who's just checking off the boxes. Boom, boom, boom. I'm, I'm, I'm accomplishing, I'm accomplishing, I'm accomplishing. I'm an achievement junkie. Boom, boom, boom. I'm getting the results for the organization. But that's a totally different thing, then are you meaningfully connecting with your people so that they want to show up to work and they feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated? So to me, that's the definition of connection. Mm. That's, a, that's a really interesting thought process. I, I love that. Um, in, I, I was, I was going to ask you about leaders that have found it particularly difficult with um, attracting top talent because, you know, even if we look around the world, you hear of so many companies struggling, even in fact, I know that um, people in corporate, right, are like, hey, so screw this, I'm going to go set up my own business because I just want flexibility and freedom, right? But then, and, and it's interesting, I was having an interesting uh, conversation on Clubhouse last night, and my good friend, Sean Goldsmith, he teaches, he teaches a, lot of, uh, um, a lot of people about franchising. And he said, this year, they've had a huge amount of inquiries from people that are, you know, that are in a conventional job um, and they're looking at starting their own business and franchising, et cetera, et cetera. He said, but the problem was, was conversion. I said, why is that? He goes, because companies are just throwing so much money at these people to keep hold of them. I'm like, are you serious? He goes, yeah. I go, I goes, and has that worked at all? He goes, Yes and no. It depends on what the offer is, I guess, in the company. But what is, from your perspective, when it comes to talent, when it comes to attracting top talent, which is difficult in this day and age, what are some of the tactical tactical connection uh, tactics, should we say, or, or, or techniques that you would give to maybe one of your students and say, well, I know that you're really finding it difficult to attract top, top talent. What are the, some of the tactical ways that you're connecting with potential prospects? Yeah, you know, what's interesting about this labor shortage is the, the students, the, the generation that I'm teaching right now in the College of Business at Loyola. So I teach undergraduates and, and graduates. So say from the age of 19 up until our average MBA student probably is about 25 years old. Okay. So those are pretty young students. And they tell wow. me, that they want to go into the office. They want face-to-face. -face. 
because they've lived through this pandemic. They recognize that they didn't learn well in remote learning. Um, they really crave that social uh, connection. They got easily distracted. So they're craving an actual office to go into. Yeah. Now, but the older generation is saying, hey, I really liked throwing my laundry in in the morning. I liked picking up my kids from school, walking my dog at lunch. Throwing, I live in New Orleans, throwing some gumbo on the pot in the afternoon. It's Jazz Fest right now, you know, cutting out early at three and going to Jazz Fest. So the older generation really wanted that flexibility. So what what I don't think the research really knows yet. I think it's a wait and see. I think the younger generation really wants face to face and they crave that. They, they recognize more than most having to learn online. They crave human connection. The older generation, I think, became almost convinced like, OK, I um, I should want to just work from home. Why would I want to go and commute again? Why do I want to go back to the office? But I really think it's going to turn back. I don't think it's ever going to be 100%. Right now, the companies that I coach are saying, at, at a minimum, we want you to come in the office two days a week, at right. least here in New Orleans. My California clients are saying, hey, like Salesforce, hey, if you want to work at home all the time, that's fine. However, we are going to pay for quarterly big offsites, and you got to attend those offsites. We need face-to-face -face strategic communication connection. And, and, and so I, I just don't think that, that we really know yet. I think it's a little bit too early. I think a lot of the older generation convinced themselves that they'd rather be at home, not understanding the effects of isolation and, and the, uh, of how the absence of true physical, you know, face-to-face -face, uh, lack of connection is going to affect them. I feel like we saw a lot of inertia, like people holding onto their office office chairs really tightly going, no, 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 no. Don't make me go back to work. Don't make me go back. I swear I'm happy. I swear I'm happy. But so many of us would look at and think, but are you really? Are you? Are you really? You know, some, some people, I just don't think they know what they don't know what they don't know yet, you know? You know, I guess the big question is all going to be based around so you've got the older generation, which want more of a, a lifestyle, right? Whereas the younger generation, as you had said, would maybe go back into, yes, they want, they thrive on connection, like social interaction. But then do they go back into copying the same uh, tactics or the same habits that the older generation did from like 20, 30 years ago and how that then affects, you know, like, um, engagement in the in the organization uh, overall, you know, I guess that's the big multi-million dollar question. What's your thoughts? That is the multi-million dollar question, Adam. And what I think is where, like I said, I think it's going to swing a little bit back, but I don't think it's ever going to be fully back. So I think we're probably going to be, if I had to predict, like if you're an organization where you're not a hospital and you don't have to have nurses and doctors there with the patients, right? But if you're more of a, a corporation, I, I can kind of envision Mondays and Fridays, people are staying at home. And then a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, could you make it in there two out of those three days? That would be fantastic. Because what we're seeing with productivity, a lot of the CEOs were very scared that productivity was going down. I haven't seen the research that has shown that the productivity is going down. What has changed is when people are choosing to work. So because they've been at home for so long, they're like, hey, it's a beautiful day. The sun's out. I'm going to take this hour and exercise because I can. And then when I put my kids to bed at nine o'clock, I'll go ahead and hop back on the computer and I will get my work done. 
What I'm also seeing is just got back from California working with a really cool client called Qualcomm. I'm so impressed with them. And and Don McGuire is the head of marketing. And he said, what we're doing is we're saying, we want you in the office Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And then when you're in the office on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, we're going to be collaborating. You're not just going to go to your cubicle and work. Like if those are the days we want you in the office, we're going to be doing team meeting after team meeting. I have another leader who I love this. He works for a hospital. He's the CEO of a hospital. And he said, I'm now for, for those who, and most of them in a hospital have to be there. He said, I'm tired of sitting in my office all day Zooming. He said, I'm going to break bread with my people. He goes, we are having lunch together. I'm reserving the breakout room. We are having lunch together. This is baloney, right? I need <laughs> to see my people. And this Zoom is just not really satisfying a lot of the leaders because they're just not getting face-to-face -face time with their people. So going back, yeah, some of the things that they can do is when you come into work, if you're if you're requiring two days a week, make it meaningful. One of my leaders said, oh, I've got, I'm, I'm calling it Team Tuesday. I said, fantastic. What are you doing on Team Tuesday? She said, nothing. I said, what do you mean nothing? She goes, oh, they just come to work on Team Tuesday. I said, do you do anything as a team? No. I said, well, let's talk about that. Maybe you can have some team meetings and maybe a team lunch and really capitalize on that time together. Love it. Love it. Love it. Some very, very interesting points there. Very, very interesting points. Um, and we talk about hybrid, right? So hybrid way of working, which, we, which I actually believe as we're now transitioning into the into the digital world, we're very much into the digital world now. And a lot of companies are making that shift to digital and hybrid. I do, my belief is that actually hybrid is the is actually gonna stay. That's my belief, of course. Whether, whether it does is an, it's another thing. But just in, in the present time, how can leaders in a more hybrid way of working um, actually achieve the same level of connection than you do if they were going into the office full time. Yeah. So going back to the leaders who have given me a hard time, why are you making me ask a personal question in the beginning of my <laughs> meetings? I think that's the easiest thing you can do is you have an, an hour team meeting and you have the agenda and everyone knows their role, but you come in and you say, okay, so this week we're talking about innovation. And in order to be innovative, I really do need you to know that it's okay. You're going to make mistakes and we're going to go around and I want to hear from each of you the worst mistake you've made. And I'll go ahead and kick it off and tell you about my $25 million mistake. And so I've seen that done by a leader who did make a $25 million mistake and completely owned it and, and really wanted to send the message that it's going to be, you're going to make mistakes if, if you're going to be innovative. And I thought that was a super effective way to begin a meeting because it really was about business, but yet it went on a more personal level of learning about each person and what sort of mistake that they made. Going back to the Thanksgiving question, um, that happened last November. I, I Sometimes I'm asked to be in the team meetings with some of the leaders that I coach, and they often ask me for advice. You know, what's a good exercise we can begin this week's meeting? And I did the, the typical, well, just ask them on a scale of one to 10, how are they doing personally and how are they doing professionally? And he said, no, 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 it's about to be Thanksgiving. I'm going to ask them their favorite Thanksgiving meal. And I said, really? He said, yeah, I want to know. 
And guess what, Adam? That was brilliant because we got to know so much. There were probably 12 people on the call. We got to know, you know, about Christie's um, sweet potato casserole that her grandmother has made every year with the marshmallows on top. You learn about a person at a much deeper level when you begin with questions like that. I just loved it. I thought it was great. One of my other leaders begins with happy crappy. So she tried doing um, she tried doing on a scale of one to 10, which a lot of leaders do. Well, let's begin the team meeting. How are you doing? You know, Adam, personally, how are you doing? Professionally, how are you doing? And you go around. And she said, yeah, we tried that. And people weren't accurate with their scores. So we just call it happy crappy. Tell me one thing you're happy about. Tell me one thing you're crappy about that's not going well. That And then I heard from another leader, which this cracks me up. She does a moose. And she said, look, she goes, they all know that I'm the I'm the kooky one. She goes, I'm in accounting and I have to add some levity to our meetings because they can get just so cerebral. She said, so I make them hold up moose antlers once a week on our team meetings and they have to show me their fingers. Are they a 10 out of 10 or are they a two out of a 10? <laughs> and why? Are they four out of a 10? But give me the antlers and tell me how your week's going and tell me why. And I make them do the antlers. So you really have to kind of, you know, see what 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 you can get away with with your team. That's so funny. That is that's super funny. You know, there was one thing actually that um that came to my mind when we were talking earlier. And the question that I had in my mind was, can you be can you, um, I suppose, can you practice, not practice, can you exert dictatorship um, leadership as well as execute connection at the same time? Or are they completely polar opposites? So you're asking if you can execute and connect at the same time? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, yes, and yes. I'll give you an example. I have a leader that I coach, and he is highly relational and also high action. He is a high action communicator. So his preference when he walked into a meeting would be, tell me the three things you accomplished and do it as fast as you can, right? Action, action, execution. But he also really cares about his people. So he even went so far to redo, you know, the 80-20 rule. So typically executives will spend 80% of their time talking and 20% of their their time listening. And he said, you know what, I'm going to do the exact opposite. He said, I'm going to give my team 80% of the time for them to go around and share updates. And then 20% at the end for me to say, here are the updates that I have for you. And now I need to know how can I best support you? How can I remove the barriers so that you can be successful? He said, Michelle, I only, I only want to do 20% of the talking because I really think that with them talking is where the meaningful connection comes into place. And then I'll let them know what they need to do. So there is a way where you can accomplish goals, you can execute, you can hold people accountable and at the same time, meaningfully connect with them. And I just thought it I just thought that he even, he even switched that 80, 20 to his one-on-one meetings. He said, he's, I know some of my colleagues, he said, they have a formula. When you come to a one-on-one with them, you bring your PowerPoint and show him, since they saw each other last month, everything that you've accomplished. And then he asked you questions about it. So it's the person presenting. He said, he said, I don't want to do it like that. He goes, I, I, I don't want somebody to come and, and bring slides to me. He goes, I want to know, how are you doing? I want to know what's not working. How can we help you? Are you soaring with your strengths? We have you in the right position. Let's talk. 
And so that's connection. And at the same time, holding the people accountable for results. I love that. That's, that's, that's a great example. And I, I, I had that at the tip of my tongue. This Because we all have different personalities as leaders. We all exercise different leadership behaviors. And I just thought that that was a great answer to the question. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. So listen, we're coming towards the end of um, today's chat. And I, I'm, listen, I, I've had a ball and I've written down lots of notes. I, and and I'm, I'm hoping that some of you guys that are listening in um, attentively, that you've also got like, you know, uh, an A4. If you haven't, you need to go back, re-listen this, get your notebook and pen handy, because honestly, there's been some such great golden nuggets and value bombs from today's episode. It's been fantastic. Um, Michelle, just before you go, tell us a little bit about what you're working on at the moment, because I know that you've, you've got the book out now, which is great. What's the next, uh, what's the next thing for you? Yeah, right now, you know, it's interesting you ask that. Again, I keep telling you, you ask really good questions, Adam. Is I was, I was, I was, you must do this for a living. I was, uh, I was just on a, on a big call and, and we went around asking, you know, kind of doing a check in. And I said, look, I said, I said, I'm already thinking about my next book. I said, but what I really need to be doing right now is just enjoying the ride. I mean, my book was just published February 22nd. You know, I'm traveling the country doing keynotes and, fireside chats and being on podcasts like this. And I'm just really enjoying getting the message out there and helping, helping leaders connect because I truly feel that that is the number one vital skill right now. If you want to be successful is you got to figure out how to connect with your people and make sure that they feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated. So right now I'm just trying to live in the present and just enjoy the ride because it's super fun. Super excellent. But that's what business is about, having fun, right, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're not having fun, then you probably really need to rethink about what you're doing right now. So listen, for you guys that have enjoyed today's episode and you want to get to know Michelle a little bit more, then please do feel free to connect with her and, uh, you know, click on one of the links below. Uh, do also mention the, uh, the the podcast that you listen to. I'm sure she'll put two and two together and she'll reach out in her own time. I'm sure she will. Um, Michelle, just want to say thanks very much for really appreciate today's chat and conversations. Thank you so much, Adam. This was just so enjoyable. Thank you very much for having me. Cool. Listen, guys, hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Uh, do me a favor. If you have listened and you love what, what you've heard today, please, please, please do give us a, a five-star review either on Apple, Spotify, or any, or any podcast um, platform you choose to do so. So from me and Michelle, we'll see you again back on the next show. And thanks very much and really appreciate you. Take care. Hey guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to today's episode on the Game Changers Experience. I would be gratefully appreciated if you could leave a good or a bad review. It doesn't matter, one or a five-star review, whichever you prefer, on any of the platforms, whether it be on Apple, whether it be on Spotify, Podchaser, etc. And please leave a testimonial or review about our podcast. And if you have enjoyed our podcast, then I look forward to seeing you on the next Game Changers Experience. Take care. See you soon, etc. And please leave a testimonial or review about our podcast. And if you have enjoyed our podcast, then I look forward to seeing you on the next Game Changers Experience. Take care. See you soon.